Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. And we are doing a quick instant reaction episode today. Uh, it's me, Dylan Stoll. No Mike this week. Uh, he's out on vacation for Christmas time. So I am just going to come at you with a little soliloquy here of me giving my first instant reaction to the final episode of season one of The Wheel of Time, The Eye of the World. I just finished watching the episode for the very first time. We're coming at this raw and... I just have to say, what the heck was that? Because what we just watched, I don't know how it passes for the Wheel of Time, (laughs) to be honest. Um, Watching that, I felt all kinds of ways. Definitely going to have to watch this multiple times to see what I actually feel about it after I let it wash over me and deal with all of the changes that we get in this episode. And when I say all of the changes, I mean literally all of the changes. I don't know if there's anything that happened in this episode that happened in the final sequence of the first book, Eye of the World, that it, I don't know if it even resembles the first book's ending, which is what the Eye of the World is uh, taken from there. But I'm just going to go through this really quick, give my quick thoughts, and already you can just tell I really did not like this episode at all. Um, I'm really interested to hear what all of you have to say about this episode. What were your thoughts on it? So if you want to send us an email at wheeloftimerewind at gmail.com or get at us on the socials for Instagram or Twitter at WOTRewind. Really interested to hear what you all have to say about this. So to get things started here, we have Rand and Moraine traveling through the Blight. And I think, you know, the Blight is what it is. It looks like it's infected, like it's growing out and everything. And I was cool with all of that stuff there. Um, The big things I want to highlight here are, first of all, just Moraine being stilled. Like, whoa. I did not see that coming, and that has huge implications for what can happen later on down the line here. That was really mind-blowing to see Moraine getting stilled. At first, I just thought that she was shielded, and then I saw Ishamael, who was the main villain here, who was like portrayed as the Dark One, but book readers know Ishamael is not actually the Dark One. But we saw him give like that extra push, and just like sever Moraine forever. And I'm really interested to see how that impacts the plot going forward. And it just has me thinking all kinds of things. I'm so I'm so flustered with this. Like, I literally just finished watching this show. So I thought it was good to get a raw reaction here. The next big change I want to talk about here is the downfall of Faldara. Just Agomar going out there and basically getting killed with everyone else at Tarwin's Gap because Tarwin's Gap does fall in this interpretation of the Wheel of Time, which is something that does not happen again in the books there. And uh, for those of you that have read the books, you know how it gets saved. And it's saved somewhat similarly to what happens for how the Trollocs are all defeated in the show here through the use of the One Power. Um, However, here we see 
uh, Lady Amelisa gathering all the women that can channel even a drip of the one power to gather out in front of Faldara. And we see her linking with all of them. And I just got to say, like, for somebody who is supposedly too weak to actually become a full Aes Sedai, she does one heck of a job of knowing all the trade secrets from Aes Sedai that don't necessarily show up in the books. Like, the linking bit is something that the women of the Aes Sedai know how to do, but I don't know like if they would teach someone who is never meant to really channel the One Power as, like, an accepted, because that's what it looked like Amelisa cashed out as, like, with her getting the ring but no stone, it looked like she finished as an accepted. I don't know if she would have known how to link and the fact that when she does link, she pulls so hard on the other women that she burns out the two other women from Faldara that were there. And then Nynaeve and Egwene are like on the edge of bursting and dying. And then Lady Amelisa burns herself out as well. But in the process, Nynaeve is like, you know, aside from being pulled and linked... I'm going to heal Egwene too, which I don't know if you're linked, if you should be able to channel your own separate flow, separate from the linked flow. And it looked like, it looked to me like Nynaeve burned herself out too. It looked like she was dead as well. But then Egwene healed her and the whole saying that healing cannot heal death really kind of had me questioning what was going on there, like how far gone was Nynaeve actually. We also see Min sneaking out of the city because she doesn't want to get caught in the fighting here. And that's something else, like I get that, you know, like her wanting to save herself and preserve herself and all. But we do have the call for all people from Faldara to basically report to defend the city and everyone not from there to get out of here. So if Min is not from Faldara, then that's totally acceptable for her to leave. But the fact that in this turning, it looks like she is, and she's kind of taking the coward's way out and running away, that has me kind of questioning some things as well. Um, then the big reveal that the Horn of Valir is actually in Faldara, below the throne that Akomar was sitting on. And Uno and the other Faldaran soldiers go in to take that out. And are like, oh, we're getting out the Horn of Valir, but we're not going to blow it. It's for the Dragon Reborn, you know. Where's where's the Dragon Reborn? And then they don't have any idea necessarily that Rand has proclaimed himself the Dragon Reborn. So I don't know, like, what they were waiting for with the Horn of Valir there. And then... Just sticking with that throne room there, just talking about how Pot and Fane and his army of Murdral come in, and it looks like they kill Loyal, it looks like they kill Uno, it looks like they do a bunch of damage to everybody there in Faldara on their way to grab the Horn of Lear. You can also see Pot and Fane has the dagger, the ruby hilted dagger that Matt had from earlier. When he went to Shatter Logoth. And so it makes you wonder like. What did Moraine and Lan do with the dagger. After they separated Matt from it. And speaking of Matt. We get a picture of Matt going into Tarvalin. Looking like he's still possessed and evil. And everything like that. 
and it just again is it's mind-blowing to me like the decisions that were made for this episode i am i'm really struggling to come to terms with what we're seeing for this uh, i got really ahead of myself talking about all of this and as you can tell i'm excited kind of worked up a little bit about from watching the show and everything so i wanted to also mention how we get our first look at loose there in telemon uh, back and he was the cold open there when he was with the other Aes Sedai woman. It looks like they're making the fracture of the Aes Sedai um, taking place on screen here, where you see Luz there and wanting the women of the Aes Sedai to come with him and his companions up to the Dark One's prison to try to seal him off. And it looks to me like some other big changes were made there. You know, it was really cool that they were speaking the old tongue. I really liked that because I understood that's what it was. But non-book readers, and I was watching this with my fiance Amy, who hasn't really read the books, and so she was like, why are they speaking in this weird language? Like, what's going on here? So the fact that it wasn't really ever explained or addressed, and like we had maybe one mention of the old tongue earlier in the season made it kind of strange, but in the books, Luz there and Telamon is basically the Amarlin seat of the old school Aes Sedai, both men and women, but it looks like here they're giving the women their own leader being the Amarlin seat, and then they're giving the men their own leader, and they're calling him the Dragon Reborn, which again is really strange and really Weird to me, considering Luz Theron Telamon was the original dragon. And I know this whole series, we've been referring to him as the last dragon, which is another thing that, you know, I do take a little issue with. But having him not be the originator of the word, or of the title, rather, of dragon is a little strange. And having that, like, be the title of the leader of the male Aes Sedai, again, really strange. I like the dress, how Luz Theron was... Uh, male Chandler and wearing black to represent that half of the eye symbol of the Aes Sedai, whereas the other woman was wearing white dressed as the other side of the Aes Sedai symbol. So together they make that whole uniform kind of yin yang ish looking symbol. Uh, we then get a scene that is straight out of Egwene's testing to become accepted which is the scene of her and Rand with their baby Joya in this farm uh, this farm village here. That's probably the two rivers. Only this time it's twisted around where we have Rand experiencing this as like, you really want this. This is what you could have vision from the Dark One. And I thought that was okay. I thought that was fine. It was really interesting how it was like a book throwback if you recognized it. But I also really thought it was strange how Rand was kind of operating within the real world and the the dream world that Ishamayel had put him in at the same time. Like where you saw that scene, the camera spinning around and around of Rand standing up and holding out the Sa'angrial and doing that. And I also want to address how Rand just up and leaves at the end of this show here. And man, oh man, where the heck is he going? He's just wandering around the blight now. We already saw what happens when young boys go out into the blight and they're over their head. So that is very strange to me. Um, and the fact that Egwene, 
I'm oh, sorry, the fact that Moraine agrees basically to say Rand dies without actually saying it and lets him go is just so strange as well because she realizes at the end there, wait a minute, this was not the last battle. We actually need the Dragon Reborn still. Like this was just a battle in the fight for survival here. So what my theory is, is that the Eye of the World was not actually the Dark One's prison. What the Eye of the World was, is it was one of the locations for of the Quendiar discs that lock his prison. And I think if they do it that way, they can explain, you know, oh, there's Shale Ghoul still out there. And that's where the Dark One actually is. It's the big bad headquarters. And, you know, who knows, maybe Rand will stumble onto the doorstep of Shale Ghoul. But I don't know. I thought it was very odd to have him kind of wander off there. Um, and now we have to talk about the quick little snippet of what's to come at the end here. And we have what Mike and I have been calling for all season long and even before we started watching the series uh, when we heard about the trailer and everything, we had guessed it. At the very end, we have the Sean Chan arriving, which I'm really excited about this because Sean Chan are really crazy, and I really am looking forward to seeing some scenes involving them in season two of The Wheel of Time. However, we have to talk about the Domani that are with them because it looks like they're wearing like this weird little golden mouth guard gag, but there's no chain there's no collar there's no wrist <laughs> clamp the entire idom which makes it so that the uh, the domani are able to be controlled by the like mistresses and stuff like that that's gone and so i'm just curious how they're going to play that out because the whole idom plays into so much more than just this one scene it's a recurring theme throughout the entire book where you have these Aes Sedai and other women who can channel being forced into wearing this idom and controlled and the whole Dark One has this whole plot where he's going to get the Forsaken to put an idom around Rand's neck and all kinds of bad stuff goes on in the future revolving idom. So I'm really hoping that they do like a change between the ending of season one here and the starting of season two. Although I do know that they are already filming season two here. So hopefully they hear this feedback loud enough that they need to actually include the item that they actually go back and make any edits. If they didn't change that already, uh, we can only hope, but yeah, I'm still reeling from this episode. I am very lost as far as what's happening. I am very confused as to why they made such absolutely massive fundamental changes that they did make to the very, to this part here, the very ending of the season. And I'm just trying to recover and work through this all. I know after this, I really want to get on the phone and just give Mike a call and talk through this with him because him and I have not spoken yet. And we are going to come at you guys next week, or should I say later on in this week, uh, with another episode with both Mike and myself. And we will 
put out our full thoughts on this episode, do a full breakdown, but with how crazy this episode was and Mike's unavailability, we didn't want to wait until Thursday to put out another episode, so I decided to do a quick instant reaction podcast here. Again, really want to hear what you all have to say about this episode, how this episode hit you, what you liked, what you didn't like, and just all these all this craziness that we're seeing and where the show leaves us waiting until we get to pick up in season two. So with that being said, we're going to get on out of here and keep this a short one today. So we'll see you at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye.